Titus chapter 2, it's on page 998 of your church Bibles. We'll read uh, verses 1 uh, through 10 this evening as we continue in, in Paul's letter. Titus 2, we'll begin reading in verse 1, and this is God's word. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Amen. May the Lord add uh, understanding to this, the reading of his word. Well, for probably around uh, 50 years or so, we, we defined ourselves by, by what we do, didn't we? Uh, nowadays, we're starting to, to begin to define ourselves by, by how we feel and, and demanding other people to, to define us by those terms as well. But for around 50 years or so, we, we defined ourselves by, by what we did. Uh, this is why men and women sought to, to climb the corporate ladder. It's why uh, women have sought equal pay and equal opportunity in the workplace. And I'm not saying that's, that's wrong or bad. I, that's, that's good that we, that we, we uh, pay people uh, a fair wage. What Paul tells Titus this evening, is, though, is that if we're, if we're in Christ, then, then who we are actually has to ultimately be defined by him, and we're given our, our purpose from him. Uh, if you if you look further down from from our reading, you'll you'll see in verses 11 and 12, which which Richard will cover next week, that that for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all peoples, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. That's that's the calling of Christ Jesus, and, and as Paul sometimes does, or, or actually rather. Uh, what Paul often does is, is he, he, he'll give the, the command, he'll, he'll give the application before he gives the, the exposition. And so we're, we're going to hear tonight Paul's uh, application of, of 11 and 12 uh, before we actually get to them. Again, Richard will, will cover those next week. But what Paul ultimately is saying to us here is that, uh, that life is, is essentially all about who you serve. That your purpose in life is not to be defined by what you do, but by who you serve. The Christian life in particular is a calling to, to put away individualism, whether it's, whether it's uh, the individualism that calls us to, to pursue great heights in the working world, or whether it's the individualism that requires others to affirm how we feel. Paul says we're, we're actually to put away individualism, and we're to live for, for another See, if you're going to live for Christ, then you are. Uh, th- then there are people both in your church and in your home that you're called to serve. 
that you're called to, to lay aside your, your own desires and often even your own needs in order to care for. Paul speaks to six groups of people this evening. Um, so I'll, I'll have the, the unprecedented, at least for me, five-point sermon tonight. You're, you're lucky I'm, I'm combining two of them together. So you'll, uh, But you'll, you'll pick them up as we go along. I won't run, run through them all up front. But, but first, uh, we're told that ministers are, are to serve through sound teaching. Verse, verse 1, he says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. If you were uh, with us last week, then you may remember that, that Paul had, had ordered Titus to, to silence false teachers who were disturbing uh, the, the churches of Crete. They were preaching and teaching for their own selfish gain. One of the, the knocks against the modern church is that, that often we, we see uh, pastors who, who preach for their own gain. You know, they, they seek to get, gain riches from, from the word of God. We should acknowledge that. The, this, this simple phrase that Paul uses to start off this evening, though, he says, but as for you... That simple little phrase indicates that Paul calls Titus to something wholly different from the false teachers. Paul orders him to teach sound doctrine, which doesn't always, in fact, most of the time, it, it rarely ends in worldly gain for the minister, especially in the first century. But the key term that, that we have to look at here is sound doctrine. Doctrine is simply a system of belief, isn't it? It's a way of, of understanding our world and a way of ordering our lives. What Paul is, is really saying to Titus is that there's actually many different systems of belief, aren't there? That, that the, the false teachers were even presenting a certain doctrine. They were te- teaching a certain uh, uh, system of beliefs. There's many different doctrines, but they are not all equal. They are not all sound this is going to be important for us to keep in mind later. Paul does not uh, simply imply that there is uh, a way in which God has ordered our world and, and that he calls us to live in it. He actually makes it very explicit, doesn't he? Particularly when we remember last week's condemnation of the false teachers in the church in Crete. They were teaching unsound doctrine. They may have been really sincere in that, that unsound doctrine. They may have really uh, passionately believed these things. It may have even sounded like it made sense to, to some of the church. In fact, Paul indicated that, that it seemed to, it, it led many in the church astray. But Paul says what, what they taught was actually counter to the, the revealed will of God for his people. It was not how God made us to live. Now we'll get the payoff to this later when I, I really upset you. Um, what's important for us to understand for the moment is that what Paul tells Titus and what he, he commands Titus and what he tells all of us is that what a minister teaches is the, the litmus test for whether or not he should be listened to and obeyed. This is the, the primary thing that we have to examine about a man before he, we, we make him an elder or a minister. We certainly look at his character. Paul, Paul presents that first, doesn't he, uh, when he presented the, the qualifications of an elder. But the, the, most, the, 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 the last thing and the, the most important thing is that we can have a man of really great character, but when we look at his teaching, we have to know is he prepared and able to teach sound doctrine. What this means is that if uh, that that you need to know God's word for yourself, so you can can discern whether the things 
uh, I'm saying, are true and right and sound. One of the wonderful things about being part of the, the International Presbyterian Church is that we, we have a, a group of, of elders called, uh, called a presbytery who examine men who are, who are being put forward uh, as elders and pastors, and they're, they're carefully examined. You can come in and watch the exam if you want to. It's a public meeting. That, that, but but they, we do that in order to, to discern, are these men that are going to teach sound doctrine as Paul orders Titus to do? And that's, that's my shameless plug for Presbyterianism tonight. Uh, you don't have to be Presbyterian to be a member of Grace Church, but being a Presbyterian has its benefits. But the main thing for us to, to see is that the ministers of God have an obligation to teach sound doctrine. And that doctrine will, more likely than not, create friction with the unsound doctrine of this world. And we'll see that as we, we go through our, our next four points. Let's, let's see the second one as we see what Paul has to say to older men. Look back at verse 2 with me. He says, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Paul doesn't say as, as much to older men and women as he does to, to younger men and women, but, but what he says is important, isn't it? Getting old is hard. You, know, you begin to feel the, the aches and the pains of your, your physical body. You've got enough life experience to know when, when a younger person is, is making a foolish decision. It frustrates you. Things can start to grate on you as you get older. Patience can become a real struggle. You look out of the world and it, it feels increasingly foreign to you. Back in your day, teenagers respected their elders and they dressed modestly. The ra- trains ran on time and everyone was friendly to one another. Things grate on us as we get older. I know some of you here consider me to be to be older. You know, I was with our 20s lunch group and, and they look at me as the old man, I think. Well, Many of you in this room probably look at me and consider me to still be a young man. Which just means I'm firmly in my middle age. Paul doesn't, or Paul doesn't speak to middle-aged people here, so I suppose I should listen to Paul's teaching to, to an encouragement to both older men as well as younger men. But what does Paul encourage older men with? Well, he says that, that if they're going to live in a way that's honoring to Christ, then they must, they must not cease to, to hold fast to Christ. This is why he calls them to steadfastness. They're to remain sound in faith and in love for Christ and for others. See, Paul encourages older men to be dignified, sober-minded, self-controlled, and so forth, which which seems obvious to us, isn't it? This is what we we think older men are, but but Paul indicates that that this doesn't doesn't naturally occur. when When you're a young man, you assume that as you get older, things get easier. The, the temptations uh, will, will at some point cease, and you'll find that you just naturally live a godly life. Paul says actually that, that as you get older, you have to contend for the faith and continue to contend for it until your dying day. Older men struggle in many of the ways younger men struggle. But they're called to, to bring their wisdom, their experience, and their, their, uh, their, their, their relationship with the Lord and serve the church and younger men by being examples to them of godliness. He's saying to older men, don't simply demand respect, but live, in a, live respectably 
in a manner that draws others to you because they because of your Christ likeness. A third, we see Paul's commands to to older and younger women, and I'm, I'm putting them together for a reason. We'll see uh, in a moment that they they run together. Let's look again at verses three through five. Uh, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. I don't know about you, but I find this point really stressful. Not because it's in God's word, but because of what our culture has, has to say about it. This is where uh, we, we get back to our first point, that as your, your minister, I'm called to teach sound doctrine. Those truths that God has, has given us to understand his world and to, to know how he's called us to live in it. This is where that, that sound doctrine rubs up often quite a lot against our worldly doctrines, doesn't it? I don't want to be political, there was, but there was a, a conference, uh, I suppose it was earlier this week, may have been last week, where a, a conservative speaker talked about uh, the home and the, and the family and uh, in, in talking about how it's a, it's a good thing when, when a mom and dad are, uh, remain together for the sake of raising their children, that, that that's the ideal. Uh, Matt Hancock, the, the former health minister uh, who was fired for, for carrying on an extramarital affair during lockdown, uh, was interviewed, and this clip was played for him. Uh, and he was angry, and he was annoyed by the clip. And he responded that, that, that he wanted everyone to know that this view was a fringe view in his political party. You see, our world hates the biblical view and calling of families. I know many of us come from lots of different backgrounds, and, and many have suffered uh, in those backgrounds. Lots of you have come from different types of homes, and, and, and that's, that's, uh, that's all right. But many of you suffered as a result. If that's you, then know that you, you have a place here in the Church of Christ. The things you've, you've suffered are, in many ways, the, the same things that, that women and children in Crete would suffer. And this is why Paul tells Titus and the, the things that he says to both women and to men. So I want to take a step back for a moment and, and address the way we think about the family and roles within the family. When our, our politicians start arguing about, about things like the family... They very rarely have your best interest at heart. You know, politicians really want votes, don't they? Many are wonderful public servants. You know, they may want to do what's right, but they get lost as the election draws near. The way we tend to, to frame these discussions in our culture is, is we talk about the, the, the old-fashioned values versus the, the liberal and progressive values. And these ideas presented as old-fashioned and tends to, to, to sort of imply oppressive. And wouldn't we rather be make progress in how we live? What Paul presents us with is, is not a set of values, but rather sound doctrine. He wants us to know how God designed us to live and to interact with, with one another, how to order our lives and our families. The truth is, even when we've tried to, to follow this, this doctrine, we've not always got it right. Because we're sinful people. And we mess up everything. 
sometimes we, we go too hard and, and sometimes too soft and, and sometimes you know we, we very rarely get it right. But that doesn't mean that we're to abandon the sound doctrine for cultural values. So I want to encourage us, let's, let's listen carefully to what Paul says to us here. He tells older women something similar to what he tells older men, doesn't he? Have dignity, be reverent. Don't be gossips or slanders. Don't drink too much. If you look in other places where Paul's written to, to men, he says some of the same things to men in, in, in other places. They get it very explicitly. But more explicitly than, than the older men, he, he gives the older women a, a task within the church. Did you notice that? He calls them to, to teach the younger women. He wants them to, to train and to equip them for godly living. Why is that? It's, it's, it's actually because it's implied that Titus is, is to encourage the older women to serve the younger by teaching them. In many ways, it's re- recognizing the uniqueness of men and women. Titus, as a, as a young man, is, is not equipped to, to train the young women in, in how to be godly in their lives and, and in their households. And so the older women are, are to train the younger, just as the older men are to, to train the younger men. In other words, there's a unique place for women to serve in the church, isn't there? And Paul says it's a critically important role. Now, what are the, the older women to teach the younger women? And how are, how are the, the younger women to live? He says to, to train and encourage them to love their husbands and their children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. He says that this is, in fact, honoring to God. It's an act of of service to the Lord to care for and serve one's family in this way. Now remember what we we said at the start of this passage uh, this evening, that that life is, is all about serving, isn't it? What we find, that we find real meaning, not... Not within ourselves, and not within what we do, but in with, within who we serve. What Paul calls women to, to do is, is incredibly hard. And it runs counter to, to our culture, doesn't it? Our culture says you're most valuable when you do everything a man does. When you have the career, and you're, you're self-sustaining, and you, you don't require uh, a, another person, especially not a man, to be dependent upon. But the gospel says that, that you're most valuable and most fulfilled when we lay down our own desires and our own selves for another. When we sacrificially serve one another. The Christian life is a life of, of mutual sacrifice and dependence. Our culture despises a domestic life, but Paul says that, that actually men and women were made for it. We'll get back to the men in a moment, but ladies, the gospel calls you to, to practically serve God by serving your family. And this certainly doesn't, doesn't forbid working outside the home. But what is very clear is that, that it calls you to see your primary calling in place, your place of service, uh, I would say particularly in the younger years of your children's lives, as being in the home. Tim Chester says the, the call to be busy at home is, is not said just to counter the temptation to be lazy at home, but to also counter the temptation to be over busy elsewhere, to look for a life beyond the life God has given you. You see, the beauty of this is, is that in a world that says you have no value unless you're creating 
value out in the corporate world. God says that, that actually he values you differently. And he wants, you to, he wants to free you from the slavery of having to justify your value in what you do for a boss or a business. He says your family is a gift from him that he's given you to, to glorify him. And he wants you to glorify him in it by serving them. Ladies, in serving your family, you're reflecting the work of Christ, which is actually the highest calling of humanity. Now, fourth, we hear Paul speak to young men. Verses uh, 6 through 8, he says, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Now, I'm going to start running out of time very quickly, so this won't be completely comprehensive. I have lots of things I'd love to say to the young men this evening. Uh, I'll keep it brief. Paul speaks both to young men as well, men as well as to Titus directly, for Titus is a young man himself. What's he say? Well, first he says, get a grip, doesn't he? He orders them to be self-controlled. On Crete, uh, there were men's clubs that were, that were the center of, of life for men on the island. They would spend their days and... and uh, sometimes even their nights there, where they would engage in all kinds of, of debauchery and pointless activities. They would neglect their families and abandon their wives and their children. When Paul tells these young men to be self-controlled, he's saying to them that the things he said to the women aren't a license for them to then go out and live how they like. Rather, it's a calling to the men to be at home loving their wives and that the wives are to, to if, if they want their lives to love them and to respect them, then give them a man to love and to respect. The temptation of, of the men of Crete and the temptation of the modern young man is to think that women are, are there to serve and to please you. And that children are a hindrance to your pleasure. This, this view is, is coming back into style, isn't it? A guy's bemoaning uh, feminism. But the answer the world gives to that is, is the example of men like, like Andrew Tate. I don't know how many of you are familiar with this guy. But I want to encourage you young men, don't be deceived by him. You know, to, to live in, in that way is, is worldly, it's not godly. Christ calls you to serve your family. Young men, Paul says, get a grip. Control yourselves. Bring yourselves into conformity with the Word of God. There's a there's a sketch on the Muppets, where it's always good when you get to the Muppets, isn't it? Uh, but the sketch on the Muppets, where the there's a, a Muppet uh, that I think is probably meant to represent young men. Uh, his name's Animal, and he acts like an animal. And he there, there's a sketch in particular where where he just goes nuts. He's screaming and bouncing around, and he's he, he's always kind of doing that. He plays the drums and just goes just goes nuts. And then uh, one of the other Muppets will come up to him and, 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 you know, Animal, calm down, calm down. It's okay, calm down. And then Animal sort of says in his animal voice, under control. And you get the sense that he's, it's a very tenuous control that he's under. And indeed, the, that, that is the case because moments later he's back to his exploits. And the cycle repeats over and over again. You know, that's how many of us 
uh, young men think about control. Why should we be under control? It's, it's just feminism trying to repress us. And we were made to be wild and free. Paul says, get a grip. He says, be self-controlled. And this isn't meant to be a, a tenuous control, but a self-control that's, that's grounded in righteousness, which can only be found when we desire to live to please Christ. Paul tells Titus to the young men to, to model good works, to show integrity in their teaching, to show dignity, sound speech. He tells them to be self-controlled, to be so under control that the grace of Jesus flows from them in such a way that, that no one can bring an accusation against them. I would suggest from the context that, that their families, their wives, and their children would find such men to be a joy to be with. As we said at the start, this happens when you when you serve rather than when you demand your rights. This happens when you consider the welfare of others, your wife and your children above your own welfare. Young men, I know many of you long to be loved. Many of you long to be married. But you live as as though a woman should serve you as you are. When Paul says, if you want to be desirable to a young woman, then become a servant. Act with dignity and integrity and goodness. Be righteous and holy and sacrificial. Serve the way Christ has served you. Lastly, and I'll, I'll keep this one very short. Let's see what Paul has to say to slaves. Look at verses 9 and 10. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn doctrine, the, the doctrine of God our Savior. You'll notice that uh, your ESV Bibles uh, translate the term slave as bondservant. I think that's actually a, a fair description. Uh, I don't have time to, to get into all the the intricacies of slavery, but slavery in the ancient world was different from, from what we consider and call slavery in the modern term world. It's different from the, the slave trade of the, the, 19th, the, the 18th and 19th centuries. It wasn't man capturing and man trading. Rather, it was, it was when a, a person would offer their service and, and payment for a debt. That's the term bond servant. We're going to look at uh, Philemon in a few weeks, which will, will get us into more details on slavery. But let's just say scripture uh, is not in favor of slavery as we know it. But the principle we can take away from this very briefly is how God wants us to, to serve those that, that we have a contractual obligation to, particular, particularly in, say, the workplace. What do you say we should be? He says we should be honest. We shouldn't be aggressive. We should be gracious that, that those we serve could, could see Christ in us. We should be above reproach, people that, that can be trusted. Now, I'm just going to simply close with this. Obviously, there's, there's a lot that can be said about uh, each of these groups and to each of these groups. And I'm not uh, nearly as capable of being as concise as, as Paul is. He just gives him a, a paragraph, doesn't he? And all right, off you go. At the end of the day, the question we're meant to ask ourselves is, if Jesus has served me in the most complete and total way imaginable and laying down his life for me, then who am I meant to lay down my life for? 
Who am I meant to lay down my ambitions, my hopes, and my dreams for? Who do you serve? Let's pray.